0: Namo tasa bhagavato alahato Sama sambudasa Namo tasa bhagavato alahato sambha- sambudasa Namo tasa bhagavato alahato Sama sambudasa. budang damang sangang namasami So first of all, I'd like to thank everybody for giving me a rest last Wednesday. Give me a chance just to spend evening after evening in my cave meditating, instead of having to always give talks. And I really appreciate that ability just to uh, spend time by myself, calm the mind, make it very peaceful and enjoy the solitude of the mind. But uh, now we have our range retreat and the first talk of the range retreat today. And I wanted to emphasize just the overall practice, which is not just meditation, it's not just study, it's not just being wise and clever, it's uh, the triple practice of sila samadhi panya, the virtue meditation and the wisdom. And perhaps one of the most forgotten parts of that is the sila part, because you cannot bypass just the restraints of the body, speech and mind, and uh, creation of sensitivity and compassion in one's uh, actions of body and speech. Uh, because without that, you'll find that the rest of the path just tends to uh, not happen. So often when people come and they say they have difficulties in their meditation, instead of just you now asking what happens after they sat down and they start meditate, often I ask them, what are you doing before you meditate? What sort of lifestyle have you been living? And usually, you can find that the difficulties people experience in meditation is uh, doesn't begin when they sit down uh, to meditate it's just how they use their body and mind beforehand, and so one cannot uh, neglect you know the practice of sila. and it's the same that sometimes that people can think they're very wise and get all, lots and lots of people just, not even on the internet, saying they're enlightened and that they know what they're talking about. But for someone like me, I look at that, that's rubbish. But how can you argue with that? Look to see if they're actually practicing good sila. Because at least you'd know that a person who is wise, who does have panya, wisdom, insight, the result of that can be seen in their actions of body and speech, in their silo, in their kindness, in their sensitivity, in their peace. You know, in their ability just to not show off and just to be sort of uh, a person who's just, no one can tell the difference. And I was like mentioning that wonderful novice, Sumana. You know, no one knew he was fully enlightened with psychic powers, He just a novice did his job and was invisible to the rest of the sangha. And you can see here that that is actually part of the sila, the, the actions of body and speech, which not only uh, empower our meditation and allow wisdom to arise, but also a manifestation of being wise. So what do we actually mean by sila? And sila is not just a bunch of rules. And sometimes if we just look at the seed just a bunch of rules, then you know we're not really getting an understanding of what it really means and how it makes the meditation work and allows insight to arise. You know the sealer is there just so that we can restrain you know, our, our self interest, our greed, our what we want. And we have to restrain that because if you don't restrain your desires You you will find that they will just get stronger and stronger and stronger, and then you won't find any peace in just the solitude of meditation. it will always be wanting sexual desires, fantasies, going here, going there, exploring the whole world. So much of that will actually stop you getting any peace in meditation. It's like what you think about during the day, what you say, what you do sort of that echoes when you meditate. I always remember just a monk called Ajantira Dhamma. He's still, I think, over in England somewhere. I remember, because he was just a very couple of months uh, ordained before me, so we used to sit next together quite a lot. I remember him saying he went over to visit his family in uh, Canada, and uh, uh, being with his family, they showed him a movie. And he said the result of that, it, it just ruined his meditation because every time he meditated, just the images of the movie came up inside of his head. It was such a you know, sensitive mind after so many you know, years of meditation and when you get something like that, it, it leaves a residue. You can't just you know, say watch the movie and just let it go. It just it stays there. It imprints itself on the mind. Which is one of the reasons if you do sort of you know break precepts if you do uh say something which is mean to another person or act in a very unkind way, that does leave a residue inside of your mind it's I always say you know I always forgive people and please forgive yourself, but even though you have that forgiveness, you know you can learn that it does you know put a barrier you know for your peace of mind. And so that's one of the reasons why that we always encourage, you know, keeping sila, which is one of the reasons why, when it gets to meditation, quite frankly, that no one can meditate as deeply as people who are in the sangha. Not all sangha meditate deeply, but those in the sangha who do meditate can really get very, very powerful and very deep. Why? Because it's got this incredible basis of restraint and renunciation, which is part of, you know, of our... Resendetra than the purpose of monastic life, to, to renounce, not have those abilities to indulge. Of course there's always abilities to indulge some places, but they're very curtailed. It's nowhere near like if one's out there in that big world, where you can basically do whatever you want, whenever you want to. But when it's all restrained, at first it's very difficult. Ajahn Chah used to say it's like putting a tiger in a cage. You put a tiger in a cage, it's going to roar, it's going to make very uncomfortable sounds. It's not going to like being in the cage because it's being trained. But then after a while the tiger sort of settles down and it's quiet and peaceful. And it's true that putting a tiger in a cage means it's lost a lot of its abilities to roam here and there. But at least, you know, it gets well fed and it doesn't have to kill animals to, to get fed and it's comfortable, protected, get free medical care. There's lots of advantages, you know, of animals being looked after instead of being in the wild. But anyway, this is a lot of advantages of the mind, not being in the wild. And those advantages are, it's far more peaceful, as I often say, by keeping sealer, which is restraint, one learns to develop the freedom from desires rather than the freedom of desires. The freedom of desires is once you want something, you get it. It never totally satisfies you. You want something again. just all this wanting, all this craving just keeps on going on. It takes a different object every time, but it's the same force, the same dissatisfaction with what you've got and always wanting something more. Something different, something new, something you haven't done before. It's always that wanting, taking different objects but still sort of keeping on going and going and going. I call that the, the torturer in the prison cell in which people live, never allowing you to sit still for one moment, never allowing you to rest, always telling you to go and want this, go and get that, go and enjoy something else. And when we have Sila, that is restricted. It's restricted so much that you get a strange result. You find that when you can't go and seek your happiness in all these different places, you find you are far more content. You are far more happy and peaceful and strangely free when you live within a set of moral precepts and rules. And you... It's really weird, but well, I never understood this when, you know, the young years, hippie years, you always think, just let it all hang out, whatever you want to do, just do it, and have the freedom to do whatever you want whenever you want to do it. But that never really felt so peaceful and so satisfying as when you were free from those desires. You weren't always pushed and pulled into, you know, chasing a girl or wanting to get this or wanting to 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 possess that. So one of the reasons why we have precepts, why we have sila, is because it's cultivating the freedom from desire. When there's no TV set in the monastery, we can't argue on what program we want to see. We can't argue about what movie we we need to watch. And uh, you find out there's so much more peace and freedom when you don't have the opportunity to follow those desires. So what the sealer does, it actually starts to cool you down. There's an old simile, haven't mentioned it for years, but many of the monks know this, it's one of the Buddha's greatest similes of the wet sappy log. The wet sappy log, you know, you just can't sort of uh, burn it. You can't put it on a fire, it's far too wet and sappy. That's the one which is just in the river. And the set, sorry, that's the river, the wet log. The other log is just on the banks of the river, but it's still really, really damp. It hasn't dried out yet. That too you can't sort of set fire to. But the third log is the log which is a long way away from the river. And it's so dry, it's so easy to take a flame. And that was the Buddhist simile of century designs and jhanas. Now, when you're right in the river, of the five senses out there in the world, doing whatever you want, whenever you want to, without you know, much restraint at all. You know, it's, it's impossible to meditate. Just, the log just cannot burn. And of course, this is using the play on words of Jayati, which has another meaning of to burn as well as to meditate. And so it just you cannot get into deep meditation when you indulge in the five senses. And even if you just left that world, you joined the monasteries, when you're living at Jhana Grove, you're restraining yourself, you haven't got TV's. Still, you know, it takes a while to dry out. But when you really do dry out, you've been a monk for a few years, or a nun for a few years, and you have practiced your precepts, you have restrained, you know, your desires, then you do find that you're dry enough, it gets very easy to meditate, at least much easier. The more you keep those precepts the easier it is. But it's not only that. The reason why we have those precepts, you know, is simplicity and kindness, to try and lessen the business which we have to do in this world. You know, so much of the business which you know, we have is when you no know, people lie when they don't sort of do the right thing with builders or with other people when you know you can't trust them, when they shout at you, they bully you. All of those Problems—they, all of that sort of bad behavior, that unkind speech and unkind actions—that's what causes the business, you know, of a monastery. You now, if people were all our hearts and they always spoke so kindly, and they always acted just so generously and selflessly, and if they just kept all their precepts, you now my job would be just so simple and easy. And same as Venerable Hasapanya's job, she would just be smiling all the time with nobody needing to, to, you know, to counsel or talk to. If we could only just restrain our speech and kind our uh, speech and actions under the under the guidance of kindness, of compassion. Because what kindness and compassion is, it just recognizes you know, the people you're living with. And that's most of the sila is just being compassionate and kind to the people you know you're sharing a monastery with or you're sharing a kitchen with or you're sharing the dining room with which is one of the reasons why that I try to encourage people if you really understand where sila lives it's in that space between you and the person you're talking with it's between you and the person you're you know acting with you're washing up with in the kitchen the sealer happens between the two of you, and it's the kindness, the gentleness, the peace, the letting go that you put between you and the person right in front of you. That is where the precepts of sealer, actually lives. And if you realize that, you find that you can actually be in harmony and peace with anybody. And of course, it doesn't matter who is right and who is wrong. What's more important is you're in harmony together. The old chicken and the duck, quack quack story, which I have to keep on saying again and again and again, simply because if people don't have an understanding of sila and all they, all they value is panya, then they think that being right is more important than being in harmony. Harmony has to come first. Being right will come later on, but being in harmony has to come first. And so those skills of living in harmony with other people in you know, a monastery, a nuns' monastery, a monks' monastery, this is an important part of the practice of sila. And this is one of the things which you know, I try to emphasize, that you know, just to see how you can be kind to one another and have such kind speech they say it's like words which go to the ear, which are soft and soothing. It's part of the Buddha's description of the Eightfold Path. I mean, without that path, there's no enlightenment possible. So always try and be kind when you speak to one another. And be sensitive to one another. As a senior monk, I, remember, I think I told this to the workmaster, there is a story, the teaching in the Sigarawada Sutta where the Buddha said that you know, whoever is the boss has to give work according to people's abilities. So you can't tell a person to do something they find so difficult to do. And which is one of the reasons why I so say just getting work done in this monastery or in Dhammasara, it's not getting the work completed, which is important, it's how it's done is more important. It doesn't matter if the kitchen isn't clean, it's how it's clean. I'd rather have a dirty kitchen kitchen where all of the anagarikas, all the workers are just living in harmony and peace than having a spotless kitchen when people are so afraid of each other. So it's how it's done is more important. It's what's between you and the person you're talking with is most important. That's where seela, that's where virtue actually lives. And you find that, you know, if you're just focusing on yourself, and of course that's where you get your desires and your ill will, your likes and dislikes, and, you know, that's the wrong place to focus on. Don't be mindful of that when you're with somebody else. And don't be mindful of the other person either, because you like that person, you don't like the person, you think they're lazy, you think they're smart. Whatever it is, put your attention between the two of you. It's the relationship you have with that person. And that is where you can build the sealer. That's where you can build the kindness and compassion. It's what's between the two of you. And you'll find that if you have some bad relationships with anybody in your monastery, you find that those bad relationships, those bad ideas, will always will always be generated, and um, generated and grow worse when you focus on them or you focus on yourself. If you focus on what's between you, what's this relationship I have with somebody else? Then that's where the sealer can grow. That's where the compassion can actually make that relationship far more beautiful, far more peaceful, far more what people expect. You know, in a Buddhist monastery, a place of kindness, a place of fun, a place of respect. Because that respect is the relationship you have with somebody else. And once you get that right, which is such an important part of Sila, then the rest of the practices come very, very simply. Just like, you know, they keep on saying the Nandiya Kimbala and Nana and they they emphasize the harmony uh, in their daily interactions so much that they said they were like milk and water, that uh, the other person's thoughts were my thoughts. And because they lived in such harmony, when the Buddha actually asked, how's your meditation? He said, well, of course, with living in such harmony, our meditation is brilliant. You now they get jhanas, they get enlightenment, simply because they started off with valuing harmony between one another is the most important practice of their sila. It's not being right, it's not being in control, it's not getting things done, getting things finished. It's the relationship which you have with one another. Because then that transfers into the relationship you have with yourself. And if you have this beautiful sense of being able to put you know, kindness, gentleness, letting go between you and the person you're talking with, then it's so simple to transfer that to when you sit down, putting the same beautiful relationship components between you and your mind. So you don't, so I bully your mind. Go mind, go and do this, go and do that. Because if you bully other people, you find you tend to bully your mind. You're kind to the people. And look, I don't know how many people run around doing stuff for me. And I don't order people around and I use that kindness. How many of you just wash my bowl, just make me cups of tea, bring me sort of uh, tea with or carrot juice if I'm at Jhana Grove? What do you do that for? Do I order you? Do I shout at you if you miss it one day? You only do that because of kindness you'll find you get much more done in Dhammasara, in Santi Monastery, in Bodhinyana Monastery, upstairs, downstairs, in the kitchen, if you use kindness. Because there you're building a beautiful relationship. And you'll find the same way you get far more done in your meditation if you use the kindness rather than force. The Sela which you developed in your daily life transfers into the way you meditate. So you don't order people around. You're kind. You don't sort of have anger towards the people you live with, or fear towards the people you live with. You have, you don't have the opposite. You have this beautiful trust of your mind instead of fear. You don't have anger. You have this beautiful understanding and kindness to your own mind. And you treat your mind just like anybody else in this monastery. You treat it with respect, with kindness. People sometimes have bad days. You know what it's like sometimes, everyone sort of feels a bit off from day to day. And so that's why if someone's really having a hard time, I'll just give them some space. If my mind is just having an off day, I'll just give it some space. I'll just have a rest, go and read some comics, read Evil Penguins or whatever else you've got. And that's giving it a bit of space, which is kindness. And at the same time that you find that when the mind is just okay, you give it that kindness and the mind wants to engage with you. It's a friend, it's not afraid of you. I don't know how many friends you have in this monastery, how many friends you have in Dharmasara. but at least be a friend to your own mind. That's the most important friend because you can run away from other people. You can hide in your room, in your hut, but you can never escape from this mind of yours. So when you have a beautiful relationship to this mind of kindness, of respect, of noticing the space between you, this mindfulness and the thing you're aware of, and putting this beautiful kindness, respect, peace between you and whatever you're watching, you find everything calms down. You notice just when there is bad speech, bad actions, when you just break precepts, when you, know, you act out of anger or out of bullying or out of fear or out of desire, when you act like that, just how much problems it creates which have to be sorted out. But when you're kind, there's no problems. Just when you just work quietly, there's no problems. You know, when you look after one another, there's no problems. And the same what happens in the meditation, when you're kind to this mind, when you look after it, work with it rather than against it, you find there's no problems. The mind is peaceful and content. It is free. It is literally on retreat. The whole world, the whole meaning behind this range retreat is to lessen all the work, lessen all the business, lessen all the problems which we have to deal with for the rest of the year. And it's easy to stop the the coming and going. It's easy to stop the talks in Nolamara or Armadale group. It's easy to stop the building. It's easy to stop men, much of this stuff. But the stuff which is most important to stop is the problems of you know, interpersonal relationships and that the relationship you have towards yourself. those problems and the only way to solve those is to practice the virtue when you're meditating. And the same virtue that when you're sweeping the leaves in the forest, when you're talking to the guests, when you're on the internet, to have this beautiful relationship with whatever you're doing, of kindness and also patience. The internet will start up eventually. Eventually something will happen and you'll be able to sort of log on to something, whatever it is. So if you have that patience, and that kindness, and that gentleness, you are lessening the problems of life, which means you have more peace. And eventually you'll find it's that peace which causes you happiness. There's some people who create problems because they enjoy creating problems. They get happiness from activity. You might try that for a while. After a while you find All this activity, all this running around, coming and going, doing stuff, it's not real happiness. The real happiness is when you stop. You know, when I can just go into my cave and have nothing to do. No problems, nothing to fix up. And That's just a beautiful sense of freedom. And the freedom from having to be a manager of a monastery, being a manager of a Buddhist society, being a manager of my body, being a manager of my own mind. It's just too much work. So when you go into your cave, you just let go of everything. You don't manage anything anymore because there's no problems to manage. it so all works like clockwork, this eightfold path. Just sit down there and let it happen. That's how clockwork it is. And so when your meditation is empowered by that sealer you find it's very deep and very peaceful, and you have a lot of happiness, incredible amount of joy. And of course that whole experience you know, becomes your insight, your understanding, your wisdom. You know, wisdom, it's, it's the one thing which everybody thinks they have, but very few people realize they've got no wisdom at all. It's one of the reasons why Ajahn Chah used to say, what does that say? That when you've been a monk for five years, you've got no wisdom. <laughs> I think ten years you got five percent. I forget what he said. You know, only five percent after ten years as a monk. You know, Ajahn Sangharatana. <laughs> if you're ten years this year, eighteen years, what's that? About seven percent or whatever. I don't know. <laughs> but it, it takes a long time to get that wisdom. But everybody thinks they have it. They think they're wise. And this is, you can't trust that. Well, you can trust much more, to see how you're progressing, is your sila. That is the best sign of your progress on the path. Just how peaceful are you? How kind are you? How angry are you? How upset are you? How controlling are you? That is a sign that you've got some work to be done. And that work to be done is not hard work, it's fun work. So much more fun and joy, being kind, than being angry. It's so much more happiness, being patient, than always having to have things done right now. It's almost much, much greater happiness, doing something for others, rather than telling it, telling them to do it for yourself. And that's why sometimes I love trying to do things for you guys. I get so much more happiness, you know, sometimes the Ajahn Sujata allows me to put something in his bowl on the, the arms line. I've done that for Ajahn Bamali before and Ajahn Appi, but he doesn't seem to like what I want to put in his bowl. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But anyway, I like, love doing things like that, being kind, being uh, uh, nice to somebody. It reminds me that somebody sent me a letter, um, a couple of weeks ago, saying that, you know, somebody was a bit tired, couldn't get up in the morning, so they got up really early and gave them a cup of tea, you know, in bed, sort of. I think that's roughly the story, you know, from some of the junior nuns. And that reminds me what I used to do with Ajahn Munindo. Got up really early one morning and gave him a, this was, you know, 2.30 had to get up because you know, we used to get up at 3 o'clock in those monasteries, I had to get up really early, 2.30, and make him a cup of tea, and knock on his door at 3 a.m. as the bell went, have a cup of tea this morning. Well, remember that, those, those simple acts of kindness give me so much happiness, and of course they create so much happiness in the community as well. That is Sila. It's not just keeping rules, don't do this and don't do that, it's much more... It's that kindness, looking after one another, being sensitive towards one another, learning how to you know, leave people alone when they need, being left alone, engaging with them when they need to be engaged, being kind, caring, looking out for them. That is a kindness. And For those of you on retreats, isn't it wonderful, right? whenever I go in retreat and somebody brings the food to my room, brings me a bowl of food, and I know that they really tried hard, to, actually to try and get the best food, what I'd like, you know, in that bowl. And that's the same as you. If when you're on a retreat, when you know, that bowl of food comes to you, you know, someone has really gone out of their way to try and look after you. And that brings me so much happiness when I eat food like that. You know, fellow monks are really trying to be kind. Sometimes they get it wrong, but at least they're trying, and that's the most important. That's what makes the food delicious because they're kind. It's the same with any act of kindness you can do towards one another in this monastery. Any act of forgiveness, if you've lost it, you said something bad, or you've done something sort of uh, you shouldn't have done. The forgiveness is another beautiful act of monastic life. Receive it and also give it to other people. When you've done something wrong and someone forgives you, isn't that incredible? Out there in the world, you make a mistake, you get punished, you get told off, you're never allowed to forget it. But in the monastery, you do something wrong and you're forgiven straight away. That's so beautiful. That's part of sila, forgiveness. But the sila also means you have to accept forgiveness as well. As I keep on saying, the path of training is to acknowledge your faults, forgive them, and learn from them, grow from them. They're the shit for the mango tree, fertilizer, that's all they are. So we don't get angry at each other, we don't blame one another, we don't blame ourselves. It's the kindness, the compassion part of the the sealer. And to sum it all up, you know, the... Storybooks which I write that sometimes people think, oh, that's just pop Buddhism. People have actually told that to me. Oh, that's just pop Buddhism. It's not the real serious stuff. No way. Some of those storybooks, Opening the Door of Your Heart or Good, Bad, Who Knows, that's really important stuff. And still to this day, sort of I remember those Empress Free Questions stories. Now is the most important time. The one in front of you is the most important person. The most important thing to do is to care. And I do that when I'm meditating even, let alone when I'm talking to people, you know, after the lunch, you know, giving them you know, as much care as possible. And there's sometimes, actually, I too get fed up with sprinkling holy water. You know, <laughs> but nevertheless they like it, so it's just me caring for them whatever way I can. And so I also do that during my meditation. The one in front of you is the most important thing in the whole world. Whatever object of mind I'm aware of, whatever, I'm tired, I'm restless, I'm just fed up. Whatever object of mind is right in front of me is the most important one in the world. Now is the most important time. Forget about what happened a few moments ago forget about what i 've got to do in a five minutes' time, now 's the most important time. The object of my mind, whatever it is, is the most important and the most important thing to do is to care for it it 's beautiful carefulness and caring kindfulness and that 's how I do my meditation. Sit there. This in front of me is the most important thing. And all I need to do, the most important thing to do is just to care for it. Look after it. And my goodness, that works. How I live my life. Best I possibly can, that's my sealer, that's my precepts. The Emperor's Three Questions. And that's my meditation. Such a simple teaching. You're in good, bad, who not, not good, bad, so you open the door of your heart. But such a powerful meditation technique. Simple, easy to remember. And it means that when you're meditating, you find it works. When you're in the kitchen and somebody sort of disturbs you, be disturbed. If that person's in front of you, they're important. Please, for goodness sake, care for them. And that care is just the relationship you have with them, what's in between the two of you. When you're making the porridge, please care for the porridge because I'm going to have to eat that afterwards when you're stirring it. Whatever it is, now the most important time. This meditation in front of you is the most important and care for it please. You'll find if you are restless, all restlessness comes from discontent, not caring for anything just trying to escape. When you care for this mind, it settles down. It doesn't become restless, it stays with you. Often so sort of remark, why does your mind run off somewhere? It's because it's not happy here. Why is it not happy here? Because you're not caring for it. It runs away. You care for that cat in this monastery, or the cat Dharmasara, you feed it and it sticks by you. Because it likes being cared for. You care for your mind and it doesn't run anywhere. You care for your sloth and torpor. You don't add the negativity to the anger eating monster and it disappears. Now you care for your breath. If your breath is right in front of you, that's what's in front of you right now, this out breath, care for it for goodness sake. And then you find, you get to incredible deep states of meditation. Now, most important time. The object in front of your awareness is the most important. And all you need to do is to care. That's sila, and that is samadhi. And that's also insight as well. You get so deep, so peaceful, so much disappears, you can't hold on to anything anymore. It leads to all the great insights. So please don't forget your sila is part of meditation practice. So that's the talk for this evening. Very good. Bhādhī Pārno Mah-